All right, Colossians chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Uh, As we stated last week, Paul is the apostle. He's writing to the church in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. He's imprisoned in Rome. Uh, the reason that Paul's writing this letter to this church is because is so that they would know the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. In all things. Now, I know that sounds like a lofty type of word, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, the problem was that there were influencing philosophies that were coming into the culture and into the church from two different directions. One, you had something that would eventually become the Gnostic philosophy, which basically said that all material things were bad and that all spiritual things were good. And if Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, he couldn't be God in the flesh because all things that were material were bad and only spiritual things for good. And you could also say from that philosophy how it, so, well, let me back up um, in my mind. Uh, If if that is true, then that messes with the person of Jesus Christ who alone can save a person from eternal separation from God. Jesus is salvation. His very name means God is salvation. And so if you mess with the person in the work of Jesus Christ, you are going to lose salvation, so to speak. You won't be able to get it. And so if the teaching can come in to say that it's a, it's a situation where, yeah, you can believe in Jesus, but then you also need to have this secret knowledge, which is what they were teaching. I know it's kind of far removed from our culture, but we have a culture that's Jesus and. It doesn't make a difference where you are. Jesus and certain knowledge, Jesus and certain actions. And that was the second influence within them is that Jews who had followed Jesus, uh, who had followed the Old Testament, the way of the law, who had kept the Sabbath, who were circumcised, who went to all the feasts and did all the things, they were an influence, a minority in that culture, saying to Christians who came to the faith in the Messiah that, yes, you can believe in the Messiah, but you must also be circumcised. You must keep the Sabbath. You must do all these other things in order to be saved. And so Paul is writing to this church to get in the way of these philosophies, to correct these philosophies, to warn, to make sure that they just have continued faith in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, in his work, his finished work. And so on the one hand, you had the philosophy uh, that, was Im- that was impacting them, and on the other hand, you had legalism that was influencing these believers to abandon Jesus Christ alone for salvation. 
And Paul was writing to remind the believers of the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. When you know who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you, you don't need anything else. You don't need anything else. But if you don't know who Jesus Christ is and you don't know what he's done for you, you're going to start looking and searching. But when you realize how awesome Jesus Christ is, how thoroughly he saved you, and where he sits now, man, if someone comes knocking on your door, guess what? I'm sorry, no matter what you say, you're not going to convince me because what I have is surpasses anything you could offer me. Jesus Christ. And that was Paul's concern. And someone wouldn't come in and trick them and move them away from that. He wanted them to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ to the place where they would not be moved. He wanted them to know the greatness of Jesus Christ so that when the counterfeits came, they could see it. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, although we might not be dealing with Gnosticism uh, right now or necessarily legalism, we might. We definitely are dealing with powers and philosophies and things that would influence away from simple faith in Jesus Christ alone to save. And those philosophies are being taught in the pulpits in this valley and being espoused by the culture around us and the prince of the power of the air is influencing those things. And so we go to the word of God to to discover what truth is. And like I warn you every week, go to the word to see if what I say is true. Amen? Go to it. And so Paul begins his letter by calling the church Colossians, he calls them faithful in verse 2. And in verses 3 through 5, he lets them know that he's overjoyed when he's praying for them because he has heard from Epaphras that uh, their faith has not wavered from the true gospel. They haven't wavered from the true gospel. They haven't bit into all this stuff yet. And Paul knows this because there's three evidences working in their fellowship, in their church, in their life. What are those three evidences? Faith. Love and hope. Faith, love, and hope. You want to know what a Christian truly is marked by? You're going to see them by their faith in Christ, their love for another, and their sure hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ, which motivates everything else. Amen? But faith is very important. And I want to just briefly remind you of faith, love, and hope, because that's the foundation of our faith. It, it wasn't faith, when we speak of faith, it wasn't faith in Jesus uh, and something else. That's, that's very important to know. It wasn't faith in Jesus and because they tithed. It wasn't faith in Jesus and they had a perfect attendance at church. Although if you don't have a perfect attendance at church, oh my gosh. I'm just kidding. That's legalism, right? So we've got to, just testing you. It wasn't faith in Jesus and because they knocked on doors faithfully every Saturday that saved them or faith in Christ and the fact that they kept the Sabbath or were circumcised or ate something or didn't eat something. It was faith in Jesus Christ alone to save. And that means that they heard the gospel and they understood it as we're going to read. But they, they were told that they fell short of the glory of God, of God's standard of absolute 100% sinless perfection. That's God's standard. And how many of you know we don't meet up to that standard? This morning, for example. And guess what? That's why the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And somehow we judge each other based upon who's, who's a better or worse sinner. 
We've all tried to jump across the Grand Canyon, and some of us go a little farther than others, but we all fall short. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches. They heard that because God loved them anyways, and in spite of themselves, in spite of falling short, in spite of them being enemies of God, because God is love, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, taking their place in judge of judgment. And they understood and believed that Jesus died for them and paid the penalty of all their sin. But not only that, Jesus proved that he had power over sin by rising again the third day. And he's seated above all principalities, all powers, all dominions, anything that's going on, any king, any president, any political system, any bureaucracy, things seen and unseen, he's above it all. He had victory over death, and he's going to be raised. He's going to raise us at the resurrection of the dead. The Bible says that when you believe in Jesus, when you put your faith in that, you have eternal life. You are what Jesus calls born again. Jesus coined that phrase, not nutbags, not crazy people. You know what I mean? They are born again who believe in Christ's death and resurrection. And, well, how can you tell people are born again? They love one another. That changes. How many of you were loveless before you came to Jesus Christ? <laughs> Selfish, self-centered human beings. Not many of you. Okay, just me and Renee, I think, raised your hand. All right, a couple of more of you. But we're by nature uh, children of wrath. We're by nature selfish people. We're like little children who the world revolves around us. And I know we're cultured and our parents teach us to deny ourselves to some degree. But really, that's just external. But God deals with the kingdom of the heart. He changes us from the inside to where we want to be people who love one another and are obedient. And I think the closest thing we can get to that is, is being a parent. Just that sacrificial love that you have for, one, for, for your children, wanting to lay down your life for them, for them to have something better and you suffer for it. That's a beautiful thing. But... Paul says, you know, I heard that you guys are loving one another. You're demonstrating that love for one another. And that's the world. It's not the world's love. It's God's love. That love that lays down our lives for one another. That's one of the necessary marks of a believer is, is love for the body of Christ. A life that's laying down its time, its money, its resources, its talent. It's all laying it down for everybody else. Love is an emotion. It's not just an emotion. It's an action. How many of you have been in relationships where they're just based upon emotion? I love you. Well, show me the money. You know what I mean? That's God's kind of love. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And this is my commandment that you love one another. That's God's love language. Wives, how many is that, is that your love language? Not just words, but action. Amen. And so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If you love me, Jesus said, you will obey me. This is what I want you to do. Love one another as I have loved you. So the mark of a true believer is faith and his love. And Paul says, faith and love spring from hope, our sure hope of a salvation. That's where it comes from. A person who does not have faith and does not have love does not have that sure hope within their life. They're focused on this world and now. But if our hearts and our minds are focused on the fact that our hearts and our treasure and our, our eternal life is with Jesus, guess what? 
That's going to be demonstrated in the here and now by how we lay down our lives. And we know this is a temporary world we live in. And so suffering is okay. Amen? We know that we'll be rewarded accordingly. But Jesus is our hope. He said our hope is in the resurrection of the the dead uh, to eternal life. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection. The resurrection isn't an event necessarily. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says that he's overjoyed because this church is demonstrating these things, faith, love, and hope. And all these things, the false teachers were attacking, influenced by Satan. And this is why Paul calls the gospel the true gospel in verse 5. He says, when you heard of the true gospel, that tells you what? That there is a what? False gospel. That there's a false gospel out there. You know, the enemy is constantly trying to get us to waver from faith in the true, simple gospel of Jesus Christ. He's good if you're 90% in and 10% off on the person of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? He wants you to go to church. He wants you to tithe. He wants you to hang out with people, be in Bible studies and all that stuff. But when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, oh, he's not God. What? Oh, he can't save. What? That is the linchpin to everything else. That is the core issue. And so he wants us to be off. The enemy wants us to be off. There's a lot of false gospels in our culture, the false gospel of love in our day, that God is love, and that means you can say and you can have faith. You can say you have faith in Jesus on the one hand and yet engage in all all kinds of things that break his heart that he came to die for. And so that is why, for example, you know, people talk about gay marriage and all this type of stuff. It's like Jesus came to save sinners, not to, not to say that we can go out and say, yeah, that's cool. That's love, just as long as two people love each other. No, God defines what love is, and he defines what marriage is. I know, you create a bunch of enemies. But you want to be true. It's the, 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 the fact is, is that God says in his word that, one man, one woman is marriage for life. He defines it. And he says what love is. It is an emotion. It's a commitment based upon what's best for the other person. And it's hard. And so we can say that he came to live and die, and yet we support a lot of things, and that's just one social issue. You know, what about pride and all these other things that we deal with in our hearts and our lives, amen, that are anti-Christ? But, or the false, false gospel that says as long as you don't eat certain meats and go to church only on Saturdays and believe in Jesus, that that combination alone saves a person. Now, I know we have a lot of Seventh-day Adventists in the city who are, who are born again. And you can go to church on Saturday and all that stuff. I, I agree with that. But if you say that you're saved because of a certain day or because you do or do not eat something, that is a false gospel straight out. Now, did I just ruffle some more feathers? But if you say, I am saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and I worship him on a Saturday, amen. Praise the Lord. Do it. Do it wholeheartedly. I would encourage you to do so, amen. But if it's because of Jesus and, then you have trouble. The enemy wants you to be all those things, but just get off on the person of Jesus. Or the gospel that says family is first above God. 
Am I hitting home? I, I, this is called creating enemies 101. <laughs> Jesus said that, what? To the rich person, what did he say? Do you love me more than your money? What else? Did, what did he say to the family? The family man. Do you love me more than your family? If not, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Does that mean you ignore your family? That's not what he's saying. But God is asking us to put him first, his priorities and his kingdom, and men as leading our families to what? To Christ, to the kingdom. We set the standard. It doesn't mean we can't do all these things, but is Christ truly first? You know? Or this is the greatest one. Uh, You know, we see on TV all the time where God wants you to be healed and financially rich. And if you aren't, you just don't have enough faith. God uses suffering to accomplish his will. What happened to his son? He was impoverished. He didn't have a home. He laid down his riches and his life so that others might live. You see the false gospel there? But it appeals to something we all want. Who wants to be healed? Who wants a bunch of money so you don't have to have problems in life? Who wants to lack character? Oh, wait. But the enemy will always give you a 90% gospel with that 10% that's messing with the sufficiency of Christ alone to save you. The church believed in the true gospel, the gospel that says Jesus is who the scriptures declare him to be, the Savior, God in flesh. And the gospel, the word, came to them and was producing the fruit of love and obedience to Jesus in their lives. In verse 6, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it had been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. The gospel was not just a local phenomenon. It's not just here, church. It's all over the world. God is at work in places that you have never been. You know, we had the opportunity to do a couple Jesus wells a little while ago. How many of you have been to those places Is God at work in those places? How many of us would have never known about those places unless we stepped out in faith? We got something for Gospel for Asia. They said, this is where you're going to put your well. And all of a sudden we see a a well is put in some remote village that we will never visit probably or see. And yet God has a pastor there and people that are, he's working in that village and people are coming to Jesus. They're literally thirsty and they're spiritually thirsty. And God's meeting their literal thirst to give them spiritual uh, drink which is Jesus Christ. And he's doing that, and he, we partnered with that, and praise God, but God is not only working here, the gospel is going all over the world. It's happening. That's a thing that he wants them to know. How many of us, when we're going through hard times, we go, is it really worth it? Am I the only one suffering for the Lord? Am I, am I the only one who believes this, and this type of thing? It's actually, the enemy wants you to think you're, you're the only one. Paul wants them to know, it's not just you, it's this is happening all over the world. God's at work. You know, hopefully in, in very soon, uh, Casey and, and, and Riley are going to share a little bit from their trip. And we want to hear what God was doing in a different place in a different time that we would never have known if we hadn't been connected. You know? And so we're excited to hear that here coming up. But God is a missionary God. Did you know that? God is a missionary God. What did he do? He left what? Eternity. He gave up his riches. He gave up all that stuff. And he became what? One of us. 
He lived among us. He suffered among us. That's what missionaries are. Amen? And so I'm asking the Father that He'd send some of you. I kind of came out wrong, sorry. I mean, like, as missionaries is what I was thinking. But seriously, God might want to send some of you. And you're going, oh, not me. Because I've got a house and I've got kids and I've got a family and I've got all this stuff. You love me more than all that stuff? That's scary, Lord. What if you send me to somewhere I don't want to go? Well, guess what? If he wants to send you somewhere where you go, don't want to go, the very place that you are is not where you should be. And his blessing is there. And so you pick up and you leave and you go. Whatever that looks like. But that's what God wants to do in and through us. That's the nature of the message we, we preach. The nature of the person we preach. He desires to be shared. And this is what Paul calls the message that they heard and understood. The message of God's grace. The message of the gospel is the message of God's grace. The word grace is, is, is a beautiful word in Greek. It's charis. Uh, and the idea behind the word is God's goodwill towards us. Not based upon you, but just based upon him. His goodwill towards you. God has goodwill towards you. Isn't that good? That the guy with all the power seated above everything has goodwill towards you? How would it feel if that person had bad will towards you? Oh man, it's only happening and it's just a matter of time, you know? He has goodwill towards you. That's what God, that's what grace is. It's been defined as undeserved, unmerited favor. How many of you heard that? Or Christ's riches, uh, or God's riches at Christ's expense. Another way of looking at it can be found in the gifts of the Spirit. This is my own thinking. In Romans 12, it says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Guess what the word for gifts is? It's chariz. The word grace is charisma, and then charisma is gifts, actually. Same thing. Grace is the same, is kind of an interchangeable word with gifts. So the idea of a gift is something that is not earned, but is given for the benefit of someone else. Isn't that neat? So in the context of gifts, the gifts of the Spirit are graces given for us for our benefit and are to be used for the benefit of others. Did you know that? God has given you grace to give grace, to share what he's given you. And with the idea of grace being a gift for the benefit for the one who is receiving it, in verse 6, Paul says the gospel is God's gift, his goodwill towards us, the gift of God, the goodwill of God, the grace of God is Jesus Christ. It's a person. They heard of the grace and they understood the grace. They understood Jesus Christ. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, taking our place. Jesus rose again from the dead and we also will raise. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, so we also are fellow sons and heirs. Jesus offers eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's all grace, all undeserved, all through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, the good news. Verse 7 says, And you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. God's grace, the good news of Jesus Christ, was given to the Colossians by a man named Epaphras, a man who had himself heard and put his faith in Christ. 
And Paul calls this guy Epaphras, a dear fellow servant and a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Let me ask you something. I know we're going like this. Okay, we're, we've got to stretch out. Everybody just stretch and grow for a second. Hold on. I understand. Just give, let, let, it, let it go through. This is important. You ever notice when you start to pray, you fall asleep? You ever notice it's really hard to go to Bible study, but it's easy to watch a football game? You ever notice those types of things? Why is church so hard on Sunday morning? Why is it hard to... Why do I... Well, you get in arguments on the way to church. Anybody this morning? Even with yourself. <laughs> if not with you, someone is driving. Because it's spiritual. It's spiritual. Does that make sense? Fighting against the flesh. That's what we're doing here this morning. We're fighting against the flesh. And this is important. God's grace was given to a guy named Epaphras, and Epaphras gave it away. Why? The, the nature of the gospel is that it wants to bear fruit. Did you know that? It wants to bear fruit. That's what the gospel wants to do. It wants to produce life. That is the nature. You take a seed and you throw it in the ground and what does it by nature want to do? What is it designed to do? Pro to produce something, correct? And so we have the parable of the, the farmer and he takes seed and he casts it out on the ground and it lands on four different types of environment, right? And we know that the farmer is the person sharing the word of God and the, the seed is the word of God and the ground, the four different kind, types of grounds are the hearts. That's Matthew 13 and Luke 8. And he says that some land on the hard path and the birds of the air came and take it out. That's the demons who come and they don't, before they even the word of God gets a chance to get into someone's heart, the enemy comes in and plucks it out. They don't even have a chance for it to produce life. That's what's happening spiritually in this room this morning. Then the stony ground or the hard heart, where the gospel lands on the heart, they receive it with joy, it starts to sprout up, because it has no root, it dies when the, when the hard times come. When persecution happens and hardships arise because of the world, they quickly fall away, Jesus says. That's an emotional heart. How many of you have received the gospel out of emotion, and then it just gets hard, and you say, forget this, I'm going to back what I was doing. You struggling with that this week? Then the seed that lands among the thorns is the heart that allows the gospel to take down, grab root, but as it starts to go, it starts to get choked out so there's no fruit in it because of the worries of this life, Jesus said, because of the deceitfulness of wealth. And there is no fruit. And this is many of us at CCF. We're choked because of the deceitfulness of richness, the cares of this world. We don't put the priorities of God above the priorities of man. And I'm right there with you. And we're choked out. For lack of vision, people perish. P-A-R-I-S-H. They go to church. I want you to go to church, but we also, Jesus said, go into all the world. Fruitfulness is choked out. But lastly, the seed that fell on good ground had a receptive heart, a heart that conform, uh, conformed to the word, not to the world. 
and a heart. It's a heart that hears and understands. And Jesus says a heart that produces a crop of love and good works. That's what it wants. That's what the gospel wants to do. It wants to make us more like Jesus. But you see, my question is, how did the seed get, even get to the hearts of the Colossians? How did it get there? Through Epaphras. If I was the enemy, what would I want to be focusing on? Making sure that what? Epaphras was taken out of the game. That he was getting choked out. That he had a stony heart. That the enemy came in and started taking the word out of his or her life. There wasn't even an option. Their lives were so full of other stuff. There was just no room for God to work or to do whatever he wanted to do. The answer of how God works is through Epaphras. And if, if I were the enemy, I would be trying to make sure that he wasn't even in a one in four chance for fruit. That's what I'd be doing. Or she. I would be making sure that that person never shared the gospel and was himself a stony-hearted person or was being choked out by the cares of the world. The, the enemy knows the nature of the message. He knows what the gospel does. It is the power of salvation, not us. Romans 1.17 it is the power of salvation. You have it. You've received it. And what does God want you to do with something you've received? Give it away. What kind of person does that? An Epaphras. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that not an awesome promise? Isn't that awesome? Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. No matter what they've done. I love that. Is that not grace? That is awesome. But he goes on in the next verse. He says, how then can they call on one, on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach? That's just a word for sharing. Unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Jesus commands his disciples to what? Go into all the world and to preach the gospel. To baptize people make in the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, into the name of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all of command, command, Jesus said. Jesus said, go. Church, you have orders from the Lord Jesus Christ who is above all. Who sits way up there. If your boss said, I'd like you to go on a trip, I'd like you to go over here and do this, what would you do? You'd make it so. And here's our Jesus, our Lord, who loved and died for us and modeled it for us. He says, I want you to go. And I want you to share what I've given you. Go and make disciples. Support the gospel. It's not just sharing. It's supporting. It's getting behind it. Whatever that is in your gifts and talents, being a part of the mission of Christ. We look at all the women behind the scenes that were taking care of Jesus, and he couldn't have done what he did if, if, the, if that support mechanism wasn't there. And, and the guys who, you know, went and got stuff when he said to go get it and all that stuff. I mean, it's just amazing how they worked as a team, so to speak, to as a body to reach people for the lost. So are you a part of the team? Are you a part of the body? Are you doing your part? Are you asking God, how are you going to use me to reach this person? 
Do I need help? Do I need to do this or that or buy a video or take him to church or whatever it is? Are you part of the team? Is that part of your heart or your mission? Rearrange your life around that mission and see if God does not pour out whatever you need. Amen? You're feeling stale in your life? You're not in the game. Get in the game. That's what God created you for, to give it away. Some of us should be teachers by now. Amen? Paul says, or whoever it was. There's a time when you just can only be fed so much. It's time to give. It's time to lay down. Time to give out. So, Paul calls Epaphras. What kind of person does that? What kind of person lives like this? And we're going to quickly end here. Look at Epaphras for a second. Paul identifies him as two things. Our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Jesus Christ. He calls him a servant and a faithful minister. The word for servant is that word bond servant. The picture is Epaphras was a voluntary slave of Jesus Christ alongside Paul and Timothy. A servant served six years in that culture under a master. They didn't have employer-employee status. They had people who had stuff and people who did not. And people who had stuff provided jobs for people who did not. And the terms were master-servant. That's the way it went. Get over it. Right? And so what would happen is a person would volunteer their time for six years, which could often be a great thing if you had nothing, because you had a place to stay and you had steady work and you would have their protection. And after that six years you were working under that person, if you decided and they agreed that you would like to spend the rest of your life under their care and their protection and their household working for them, you would say, I'd like to be your bond servant, a permanent servant. And if they agreed, they would say yes, they'd take you, they'd put your ear against the door and they'd knock a hole through it with an awl. And that would be the sign that you were now a bond servant of this person. And so Epaphras was called what? A bond servant of Jesus Christ. That means he willingly laid down as the rest of his life, all his rights, everything that he would do to be in Jesus' care. What kind of person shares the gospel? That kind of person. Secondly, he calls him a faithful minister. The word minister is servant. We have a minister of defense in England and all these types of things. It just means you execute the will of another person. So you have what kind of person shares the gospel? What, what kind of person is a pastor? It's a person who said, I no longer live for me. I live for your kingdom. And a person who says, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. That's an Epaphras. And so, as I start looking at those two things, I go, am I Jesus light? Am I, am I like, do I got like one foot in? Am I kind of like half-hearted about the Lord, His people? Am I half-hearted about His mission? How many of you struggle with that? Is it, or is it just me? How many get discouraged? You like step your foot out and you realize, oh gosh, okay, forget this. Yeah, totally. Listen, Jesus is your master. When we say, I have been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank the Lord 
that our master is benevolent and loving and kind and everything he does is for his glory, which is actually for my best interest. Have you laid down your life to Jesus Christ afresh and said, Lord, it's all yours. My house, my car, my time, my treasure, my talent, all those things, they are yours. This is not a speech for you to give all that stuff to church. That's not what I'm saying, please. That's where the world goes. Have you in your personal heart said, Lord, I'm yours? And then on the other hand, have you said, God, whatever you want me to do today, I'm doing it. Those are the kinds of people that Jesus is calling. That's what the church is about. Does it sound like the cross? Does it sound like picking up your cross, denying yourself and following Jesus? Because that's exactly what it is. It's not about the electric guitar and the band and getting excited about something and woo, the emotional thing. It's about you and Jesus. And the things that are precious to him become precious to you the more you hang out with them. The things that break his heart start to break your heart. The things that he calls you to are the things that he was called to. And you want to have fruit in your life? You want to have purpose? You have meaning? You lay down your life like a seed that goes in the ground and dies so that you actually would live. You lay it down. And you're going to start to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're going to, radical things will start to happen in your life. You say, Walla what? Where are we going? We're going to Walla Walla? What's a Walla Walla? <laughs> Leave San Diego? What are you talking about? And my family and all that stuff. How could I not? He is so good. And you step out. And you land where God calls you to go and to be, whether it's across the street or in a different place, and you are just going, Lord, your goodness is so good. Thank you that I did not listen to me and my creature comforts or whatever that might be. Look at the blessing I have. You are such a blessing. This place is an incredible blessing. God is so good. The things that the Lord has for you. Lay down your life, Epaphras. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank you for each one of these blood-bought sons and daughters of yours. And Lord, I ask right now that if someone has not laid down their heart to you right now, they've never received Jesus as Savior, they have not They've picked up the, the kingdom again and said, oh, this is my kingdom, not yours, God. I'm doing what I want. Lord, I ask that you would just encourage their hearts this morning, right now, and that they would just cry out to you and say, Lord, I surrender all. I surrender all. Wherever you want me to go, wherever you want me, whatever you want me to say, whatever you want me to do, I have no excuses. I've given it all up. I'm yours. And Lord, I ask that you'd give them life this morning, your life, the life that comes through faith. Pour out your spirit upon this sweet people, Lord. Lord, breathe life. We need it. We're thirsty. The things of the world have left, left us dry. We can only go to those waters so many times before they become bitter. But Lord, your stream is fresh. It's good every day. Feed your people, Lord. 
spiritual food, spiritual drink. Send them into the enemy's camp and declare the grace of God. That he has a pardon for sinners, the vilest of sinners. Your grace can forgive. Lord, I pray that we would display the cross of Christ in our very lives every day. And that we would know all power, the power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead to live this life now. Because we can't do it apart from you. We love you, Lord. We want to love you in word and deed. So have our, have our week, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.